Hi, good afternoon. Merry Christmas. Uh, this is Greg Lois. Hopefully you're here today for our uh, New Jersey webinar series. Today's topic is reimbursement and subrogation in New Jersey. I'm joined today to my right, your left, uh, Mark Packerel, our partner, uh, heads up our subrogation department here, and my other partner, Joe Jones, uh, from our New Jersey Workers' Comp Defense Practice. Uh, today we're here to discuss reimbursement and subrogation. I've got two experts to talk to you about that today. And hopefully, uh, knowing our audience, we want you to be able to answer these questions you get from your insureds and your locations. Question number one, do I have a right to reimbursement? How much do I get reimbursed? And then, of course, can we subrogate in New Jersey? Uh, this is part of our overall New Jersey Workers' Compensation webinar series. The third Monday, we do New York. Uh, two sessions, and the fourth Monday we do New Jersey. Now, if you were here with us last week, we had a couple technical uh, glitches with uh, New York, uh, pop in and pop out. Hopefully all of that's been um, straightened out for this week. Um, this is part of our overall uh, outreach to clients, and this is please uh, lean on us. We have handbooks. We have hundreds of articles on our blog. Of course, we do these monthly webinars for our clients and our newsletter. Uh, we like answering questions. This is our opportunity for us to share some of our information with you. Uh, the webinars do follow a, sort of a, a curriculum every month. It's a different topic. It loosely follows the topics in our books. Every webinar we've done is up on our archive. You can access them. You can watch them and sort of catch up. Um, Again, the topic for today is reimbursement and subrogation. We're going to talk about really basically what are those things, how do we get reimbursement, how do we get subrogation, um, how much should we get back. Uh, we're going to give you a background of what the law says. Uh, we're going to talk about some examples, and then we're going to answer your questions. Again, we got to have this divided up between the two experts. So Joe's going to be our reimbursement expert, our workers' comp defender. Mark's our civil litigator. He's going to talk about subrogation from the civil aspect. Um, this is a live webinar. As you can tell, sometimes there's glitches. Sometimes we, we say the wrong things. Uh, but this is a live webinar, and you can ask questions. The questions will pop up to me on this computer that's right in front of me, and we're able to answer them. We're generally going to answer questions at the end, but if we see anything especially egregious popping up, uh, we'll answer it as we go along. Okay, and with that, I'm going to turn things over to Joe Jones. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. And as Greg indicated, happy holidays, everyone. Uh, let's dive right into uh, reimbursement. Uh, the first thing we should look at is uh, the legal authority under which you can actually get reimbursement in New Jersey. Uh, that authority is provided under New Jersey statutes, 34 15-40. It's a lot of numbers and letters in there. We just refer to it as Section 40. So when your attorneys are uh, writing you letters, you'll commonly see that phrase, Section 40, which talks about the ability of, for you to get your uh, lien rights reimbursed. First question when we evaluate this is, is there a potential action? Uh, is there an actual tortfeasor? Did someone other than the employer cause this accident? Uh, that is, you know, you find that very quite typically in your motor vehicle accidents where maybe a delivery man's out on the road and uh, he gets rear-ended by somebody at a light. You also find that slip and falls maybe uh, on the parking lot on the way into the, the place of employment. And, uh, you know, we, we have to look at each of these situations to determine is there any chance at all that someone other than the employer is the actual person responsible for the injury. I just uh, trying to it's switch going. to the next slide there. It's gone. Okay. Um, the first thing we look at is the facts of the loss. Where's the next it's one? It's not this computer. Sorry. Okay. Uh, the facts of the loss. So, again, 
in detail. Do, is there an accident report that's attached to the file? Uh, do we know it was a motor vehicle? Is it something obvious, which, you know, those often occur, but sometimes it's not so obvious. Sometimes maybe a product's liability case where a machine failed to work the way it should have. And so you really have to kind of look at exactly uh, what the, the potential action is and do we have someone that we can actually sue uh, as a result. Here we have a, uh, I skipped ahead two slides, but we here we have a slide and a gentleman's, where is he? He's, well, there was a gentleman walking <laughs> towards his car and uh, another technical difficulty apparently. And uh, he slips and falls on some ice in the parking lot. And the question becomes, who owns the garage? Who maintained that garage? Uh, who may be at fault? Okay. So really the first step is always, do we have facts that will uh, uh, point to someone other than the employer being responsible for that accident? If those facts exist, we have to move on to the second question. Do we get our money back? This is the most important question, if you ask me. Absolutely. <laughs> and in New Jersey, the good news is you get your money back. Uh, and and basically, we there's, there's different ways to figure that out. Uh, one of the most common things that happens that our clients do for us is they send us a payment ledger. It tells us right there how much they paid out in medical benefits, temporary benefits, uh, as well as permanency uh, benefits. Uh, if you don't have this in our file, we ask the client for it, and they're always willing to provide that for us. Uh, that's important because you can get those things back. Um, we're going to, let me skip ahead here too. Let me tell you what you, oh, so we've already discussed what you can get, which is medical benefits, temporary disability benefits, and permanency award. Uh, let's talk about what you can't get, uh, basically administrative expenses. So things like uh, if you send your um, client to the doctor, if you send the, the petitioner to an IME to get a permanency report, the fee you pay that doctor is not something you can recover back. Uh, defense attorney's fees, the fees you pay to us to, to represent you in these cases, those are not recoverable as part of your lien. Any court costs, uh, maybe filing fees of some kind. Uh, and finally, some medical vendor fees. Uh, if you pay, for example, maybe for surveillance or for a nurse case manager who's not really treating the petitioner but just sort of following that treatment, uh, sort of supervising in nature, it's an administrative fee. You're not going to be able to get that back. Right. It doesn't mean, though, and just to clarify, that we're not going to ask for it. We're not going to throw that into our request for lien reimbursement. A lot of times it's up to savvy plaintiff's counsel to make sure they're not reimbursing us for stuff they shouldn't. Right. And that also sort of straddles that line. I mean, it seems obvious to us that stuff like IME reports, uh, defense costs, obviously surveillance, wouldn't be reimbursed to us. But something like a nurse case manager, I mean, I feel like that's very close to the line. If the nurse case manager is just monitoring for the adjuster, Obviously, there's not really any curative benefit to the claimant, so I guess we wouldn't expect to see that money back. Right, and actually, to that point, when you do get the payment ledger, it often does have the administrative expenses in that. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when you provide that total, it kind of is including those. Right. Like you said, it's sort of up to the petitioner's uh, uh, third-party attorney to say, hey, wait a minute, this isn't something I should be reimbursing. So, exactly. Uh, that, is, that is correct. Um, we have to preserve your rights. Once we know that there is a third-party accident, we know what you're, you're entitled to get back, we have to preserve that right, and the way we do that is a Section 40 lien letter. Uh, we send that letter out. We do it on all of our cases. Uh, it goes to the petitioner's attorney, uh, advising him that we have, a, we have a lien on this case, and he should be made aware of that. It is then incumbent upon him uh, to basically sort of monitor that and take care of that as it resolves this third-party case. Yeah, now if we know the identity of the actual third party, We'll serve the letter on them. Correct. Typically, yes. we don't know yes. that. Um, we pretty much serve this letter every single case. Yeah. And one little practice point that's different from other states, uh, in New York, where we have a lot of cases, their reimbursement statute, Section 29, is absolutely self-affecting, which means we don't have to do anything 
uh, legally to protect your Section 29 lien rights in New York. In New Jersey, you do. The statute doesn't self-execute. So we do have to send this lien letter or this lien letter has to be sent. So that's a big distinction between the two states that we provide right. to send. And that's a great point, Greg, because sometimes we don't know through discovery yet who is responsible, like you said. So as long as we get that lien letter out to the attorney, we are covered. And that is something we do on every one of our cases, because as the case develops, you could learn that it is a third party case or there is a viable third party case that you didn't know in the beginning of the exactly. case. So it's important to protect that right on, on the client's behalf uh, in, in every case. The petitioner's counsel uh, requests a ledger. You know, they're, they're going based on us in terms of information. So they often ask us for updates in terms of medical bills paid out and temporary disability paid out. And, of course, you know, at the time we're settling a case, we sort of know what the perm is at that point. Uh, but th- sometimes they request a ledger, and we'll give them a copy if, in fact, we have it. If not, we sometimes give them just a sort of written, hey, here's what we paid out in benefits so far. All right. And again, that'll give you the total amount possible uh, to recover the, the medical temp and perm paid out. Now, there's a theory that some people might have heard of this third, a third, a third. And it's uh, it's something that the plaintiff's bar, the petitioner's bar, uh, sort of wants to make a, like an official rule when they're trying to settle their third party case. They'll come to us and they'll say, hey, Joe, you know, how about uh, you guys take a third for your lien? Uh, you know, I'm going to get my third as an attorney representing the guy, and my, my client will get a third to go home with. How's right. that? Right. We hear and, that all the time. Yeah. And, you know, it's even more pernicious than that. They'll say it to us, but I feel like they also beat up adjusters with that. They'll go to some adjuster who knows how much experience this person has with dealing with liens and say, hey, in this state, it's always a third, a third, a third. You know, you get back right. a third, you waive a third, and I get my third. Right. And that's how this always works. And it seems almost unfair because it's almost presented to adjusters as this is how it's done. I mean, you, you've probably seen that as well. Right. Yeah. And I'll make two points here. One, it is absolutely not a rule in any way, shape or form. And it's not something we should really even pay attention to. We don't have to abide by that. It's not something really that we should we should take as as uh, literal or, or that even that we're going to agree to compromise on. Uh, I could also tell you I, I did represent plaintiffs and petitioners before doing respondent work. And. It's a way for the plaintiff's attorneys to convince their clients to take the settlement. They try and get them on this, you know, we'll each walk away with a third because oftentimes the lien amount is greater than the amount that the petitioner will receive in that third-party case. And, you know, the guy, the petitioner doesn't go home with a lot of money in his pocket from that third-party mm-hmm. case. So mm-hmm. he's not right. inclined to, to settle right. because he's saying, how come everybody's getting paid more than me? So it is a way that the plaintiff's bar tries to sort of, you know, ease their way into a settlement from us and a compromise from us that I don't think is anything we should buy into. Right. Uh, other ways that, that the attorneys try and get us to compromise our lien uh, are threats and persuasion. Uh, sometimes they just straight out say, my case stinks. It's horrible. You know, please, you know, we're just going to dismiss it. You know, right. uh, uh, it's not a lot of damages, very poor liability. It's horrible, horrible, horrible. They're, of course, saying this to us, but at the same time, in, they're talking to their adversary in the third-party case, saying how wonderful their case is and how great it is and how awesome liability is. Pay me, pay me, pay me. Right. So they try and minimize the, the value and the effectiveness of the case to us to sort of get us to say, oh, all right, maybe we don't get our lien back. Uh, don't buy into any of those things. We, we, we don't ever go along with that, and there's a good reason for that that we'll get to in a second. The dismissal threat, this is another way that they'll approach us and say, well, you know what, I'm just going to dismiss the case then, or I'm just going to not file a lawsuit or something like that, and well, then you'll and get we, nothing. We typically see this in the context, just to make it very clear, where they, someone's recovered in workers' comp, 
hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical, in lost time, and maybe permanency. Right. They've recovered $300,000, let's say. And then in the civil world, their maximum recovery is limited by maybe the size of a policy to $50,000 or $30,000. Right. And in that context, the plaintiff's attorney comes to us and says, look, I'm not even going after this anymore. I'm, this, my plaintiff doesn't get any money. Right. Disingenuous for a lot of reasons. First of all, the attorney still gets paid. They still get their fee, so they still have skin right. in the game to, to go after it. And then, I mean, I think you're about to talk about why them telling us, I'm not even going to go after that pot of money. It's, I'm just going to take a dismissal. It's totally false. Right, right. It is. It's a, it's a technique they use to try and get us to compromise our lien. Mark's going to talk to you in a second about uh, about what we can do, even in spite of their, their decision to not go forward with their case. Um, all of this stuff is about maximizing reimbursement, making sure that you, the client, get all of your money back and as much as possible as we can. So these techniques that they use, we, we don't buy into them, uh, and we certainly don't go along with any of these threats or uh, attempts at persuasion to uh, indicate that the case isn't valued as what it should be. Uh, in terms of maximizing that reimbursement for you, one of the techniques we, wait, we do is we wait for the offer. We don't have pre-discussions about what we think the value of the case is, and maybe you'll get this, and maybe you'll get that. Show us a solid offer, and we'll talk about the lien. And again, you know, it's not something we're looking to negotiate. We want our full amount. We want to certainly recover for our clients the full amount that they're owed uh, under the statute. Uh, applying credits, uh, what is not expected is conserved. Okay. If, for example, you have a, a pretty significant workers' comp case, and the third-party liability case is not that great, as you said, maybe the policy limit or something like that is kind of low, and you don't recover a lot of money, you can get a portion of your lien back and then still reserve your right for any future benefits that may be paid in any type of reopener case in the workers' comp world. So uh, should that client, that petitioner, reopen their case, receive more medical benefits, receive more temporary disability or even permanency, we'll be able to take a credit back for what we're still owed on that lien amount above what we already uh, were paid through the third-party case. So that is something we can do. You're basically, you're going to get your money back. That's, that's the bottom line here. We're going to do everything we can to protect your lien and make sure we maximize your reimbursement. Um, how do we do this? How do we reserve your credits? It's simple. On the order, uh, when we settle a case, uh, an order approving settlement, we write, respondent reserves the right to assert Section 40 lien on reopener as to any medical or temporary or permanency. We already know it because we've already reserved our letter. Uh, we've already reserved our right through the letter, but we just go one step further in the order saying, Judge, we still have the right to reopen and we still have the right to our credits uh, going forward. Right. So if they ever come back, and that would be really in the order approving settlement context, Section 22 settlement. A more interesting question is what about Section 20s? Typically, a Section 20 destroys our right to future reimbursement right. unless we specifically put it on that Section 20. Uh, settlement that we do. It says, here's $10,000, go away, don't come back. But if you collect any more money in the future, we have right. we have our right to be reimbursed. Right, exactly. Okay. So that's basically a, that's basically an overview, or at least of reimbursement. So, Mark, turn it over to you. Right. Well, before we go over to Mark, though, just a quick reminder, questions. Questions. We have a uh, laptop in front of us. We can see your questions as they're asked. So far, zero questions, guys. Must mean that we're covering this topic perfectly and amazingly. I doubt it. Uh, just as a reminder, you can type questions in there. If you're looking on a computer, uh, the screen should look something like what's on your screen right now. A little question box, you can type questions in. If you're on an iPad, it'll be uh, below the, the area where you see the speakers. Okay, and with that, Mark? Okay, all right, subrogation. Um, 
as I said there, do you have a right to subrogate in New Jersey? Of course, I wouldn't be standing here otherwise. Now, what is the word subrogation? Yes, it's a fancy word. It's a Latin word. Us lawyers like to use words that normal people don't use in the normal course of business. <laughs> makes us feel important. <laughs> makes us justify our existence. But hey, don't just, give away all our secrets, I know, Mark. Come on. I really look behind the curtain here. Uh, subrogation really just means it allows you to stand in the shoes of somebody else that you have, have a right to, meaning in this situation, your employee, okay? And you have a right to be made, to be made whole by, being, by standing in their shoes in connection with their prosecution of a case against somebody else. What does that all mean? You get reimbursed for anything that is caused by a tortious third-party tortfeasor. Now, what a lot of times what happens is we will file a lawsuit in the name of your employee, but to be clear, we are not trying to do anything for them. We're really just trying to get your money back. Okay, and it's technically a subrogation action. Again, it's a reimbursement action. These things are all thrown around there by people. It all essentially means the same thing. But what I'm talking about is subrogation, which is outside the world of the workers' comp uh, proceeding in the Superior Court of New Jersey, a civil action filed by you or on your behalf to get you made whole. Okay, it's your money that we're looking to get reimbursed. Now, again, subrogation. What is it? We just went over that. Uh, what, how, what, what, pursuant to what statute? The Section 40 right. We get to step into the shoes of your employee or your insured to whatever extent uh, possible. Now, obviously, there's some problems with pursuing this claim. Quite frankly, there might not be a target. Okay, your employee might have really just caused this accident himself or. We can delete this part of it. Your employer might have really been the one responsible. So, again, hopefully that's not the case. And if we're going to be involved in a subrogation action, we will most likely be able to find someone to hopefully get reimbursed. Now, uh, the last bullet point there is a bigger problem where the petitioner is not represented. We all have had this situation when you're dealing with pro se litigants. They mean, well, I know they're really hurt. They have an alley, but they're not sophisticated. They don't know what they're doing. This protects you, okay? You can file a lawsuit, protect yourself, despite your employee's lack of smarts, we'll call it. Okay? Sophistication is a nice way of putting that. Much, sure. much nicer, yes. You have a very sophisticated delivery driver out there on the street, and yep. we're there to kumbaya, kumbaya. Okay, so yes, obviously, yes, we can settle. I'm subrogate. Now, we have on there the New York code. Oops, oops, my bad. That was last Monday. Sorry. (laughs) All right, now, here we have a slide. I've seen this before. I have a bad idea what's going to happen to this guy. He's walking through the airport, minding his own business. Who in the hallway? Better find out. Why? Because he has an owie. He fell down. Didn't see that cone there, and he's lying in a puddle of ice or water. Oh, no. But he says he's not going to sue anybody. Why? Okay. He's, the, he's the employee who, in this example, is bringing a workers' compensation claim, yes. recovering workers' compensation benefits, yes. but then saying, I'm not suing the landowner, yes. whoever maintained that hallway, whoever actually contributed to that. Okay. And there could be reasons for that. Okay, so the employee might like the property owner, or he might have a business arrangement with that property owner. He doesn't want to make life, that life difficult for them. He knows he has his rights. I'll sue my comp. I'll get paid. But what he doesn't care about is you getting reimbursed your money you're right. spending. So in this situation where he says, I'm not going to sue anybody, you say, great, that's awesome. But we can do it. We're going to subrogate. Now, like I said, we can go to court and file our own complaint. His name will be in there because it is talking about the story of that poor man who fell and suffered those catastrophic injuries. But, again, we can file a lawsuit in his name to get reimbursed against that tortious third party. Now, again, obviously – 
in that situation is very simple. It could be a maintenance company or a property owner or whoever it is. Now, um, in some more complicated situations, let's say your employee is going through the course of treatment and unfortunately there was some medical malpractice that exacerbated a condition or made it worse, or there's a legal malpractice snafu that he lost some rights, okay? That um, employee can sue that doctor or that lawyer, hate to say it, for uh, a legal malpractice case. Yep. You also have that same rights to pursue those tort feasors, even if it's a more sophisticated claim. But again, if your employee is harmed or wronged by somebody else that increases your exposure, you have a right to get reimbursed through a subrogation action. Now, again, this is all recovery at law. This is not within the workers' compensation court. It's in the Superior Court of New Jersey. Every county has a town, has a county seat, New Brunswick, Newark, wherever it is, and we'll file a complaint. Now, with that, there, will, there are certain notice requirements, obviously. Um, and again, it's most, most technically with a summons and a complaint that are filed with the clerk and served through more formal reason, uh, more formal, uh, manner. Now, after the date of loss, you have to wait one year. You have to advise your petitioner or your employee of your intent to do this. And you also put that third party on notice. Okay. After you wait one year after the date of loss, you put them on notice. You wait 10 days and then boom, you can file your complaint, serve them with a summons and a complaint, move forward with discovery. Okay. Now, what happens if we forget to file that third-party notice? You're still good. Now, in this situation, what this slide's talking about here is we can still collect directly against the petitioner. What we're talking about here is there's a responsible tortfeasor. We failed to timely subrogate. However, your employee... Maybe we didn't know who they were. I mean, the most typical circumstances, they were injured by someone. We didn't have enough investigation or enough facts to know even who it was, who was the property owner. A year goes by, they bring suit or they don't bring suit. Now the question is, how do we give notice to that third party or if we don't do it at all? Well, again, send out letters, put everybody on notice of your claim, still go after it. Because as long as that the petitioner or the employee has filed suit against that third party, they are protecting your lien. Okay. And again, this is one of those situations where I've been saying before, we're in the civil context, the employee and the carrier in the workers' comp setting group hug, kumbaya, because that injured employee, he likes a big lien because he wants to tell the jury, ladies and gentlemen, I was hurt so badly and I have to pay back half a million dollars over here. So we're all in the same boat, okay? So it's we're all best. Meaning our interests are aligned. We want want them to to look good on paper and look at all these damages and injuries and medical care, and and they're happy to present that to a jury because – it looks like damages to a jury. They can't tell the difference. To be clear, you still get to go back to workers' compensation court and call him a liar. He wasn't hurt. It was all fraud. (laughs) But in the spirit court, don't worry. We do that. Don't worry. We're all friends. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, yes, if if by some chance you're unable to file a claim, more than likely you're protected if the petitioner filed his own lawsuit. Now, monitoring. Obviously, uh, if the petitioner has their own civil lawsuit going on, like I said, they are protecting your lien, and you will get paid back out of that recovery. So what a lot of times we do is we'll just monitor a case because they've already filed the complaint against the tortfeasor. So we can just say, hey, keep us posted, let us know what's going on, and monitor the situation. A lot of times, again, that plaintiff's attorney wants to keep us updated because they want updated numbers from us to keep bolstering right. their damages claims. So, again, there really is a concerted group effort for the most part. And, and they'll often ask us uh, to come to any kind of mediation or yeah. settlement conference. So we're representing your interest and basically come in there and say, well, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll compromise, we won't compromise, we'll waive, we won't waive. 
et cetera. It's the rare occasion where the plaintiff's attorney goes rogue and doesn't involve you in the negotiations because the worst thing he wants to do is settle something that he can't make everybody whole because then he's exposing himself to malpractice and he has to explain to his client why they're paying back more than they're getting. So most of the time in the civil context, everybody works together until it comes down time to, you know, who's getting paid what. It gets contentious then, but of course, that's just the name of the game. Now, again, if we're monitoring a case, you know, uh, the slide has just some various websites through the court we can monitor electronically just to see what hits the docket, proceedings, et cetera. That's, that's pretty standard fare these, these days from state to state as well. Now, again, I said this before, but I want to make it clear. The obligation of the defense attorney in pursuing a subro action is to you, the carrier for the employer. We're really in that court, even though my complaint might say I'm representing John Q. Public, ASO, XYZ insurance company, my only goal there is to get paid money that's going to go to the insurance company. Even though my employee's name might be in the pleadings, he does not get paid out of that action. I do not represent that person. He, he definitely has a, an obligation to cooperate with me. However, I'm not getting him any money for his injuries or his owies or anything like that. I'm just there to get your bills reimbursed, clean and simple. Okay. All right. Last slide. Questions, reminders. Well, so far, I mean, we're now 20 minutes in. I've got zero questions popping up on my computer. I'm looking over to Lauren over there. None on yours, right? We, okay. we can't possibly have done that. I good. think we did a great <laughs> job, guys. I think that's what's basically going we on found here. the white whale. All right. Perfect uh, As we say goodbye, if you type in any questions, we can answer them. Again, this is Joe Jones, our partner, uh, Workers' Compensation Defense in New Jersey. Mark Packrell, a civil litigator here at Lois LLC. Next week or next month, our topic is going to be Secondary Payer Act. And joining me for that topic will be Declan Gorley, uh, who prior to joining me about three and a half years ago, uh, represented claimants in Social Security proceedings. So he's very familiar with Social Security proceedings and the administration of that act. And we're going to talk about uh, Secondary Payer Act obligations. Um, and uh, we'll be discussing how we uh, do set-asides, allocations, and how we do put-throughs in both New York and New Jersey. So please join us for that. Um, with that, I still see no further questions, so it looks like we're good. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas.